Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining us. On tonight's show, the head of equities at Tamman Asset Management, Ron Shamgar, comes up with three really interesting retail stocks. These are pretty big retail outlets and I've never actually heard of them, which probably tells me I need to go shopping more often. Michael Wayne of Medallion Financial looks at these stocks and also some stocks that he likes right now. So we'll get an objective assessment from another analysts on, on what they think about those stocks of Ron's. Then Michael Gable goes to the charts and evaluates Altium, Atomo Diagnostic, BHP, Prometicus, Tyro, and the overall ASX 200 index. And then finally, Charles Tarby weighs up the effects on the property prices of a pending loan crackdown by uh, APRA, and also the fact that he believes a lot of supply is going to be coming on the market between October and November and December. So interesting to see what he thinks will happen to prices as a consequence. So that's the show. Let's kick off with Ron Shamgar of Tamman Asset Management. Well, joining us now is Ron Shamgar from Tannen Asset Management. Ron's been on the program before and uh, come up with some really good ideas and they did well. So today he wants to focus on the retail sector. So mate, what has reporting season told us about the retail sector and does it have a future? Hey, Peter. Thanks for having me. Uh, look, Definitely, um, reporting season uh, was a good one for the retail sector, especially financial year 21. And uh, we really um, came away with five main takeaways, especially as we sort of uh, looking to come out of lockdowns uh, in the next couple of months and into Christmas. So basically, obviously, uh, lockdowns uh, are hurting the retailers. But what uh, the management teams have said is that demand comes back uh, quite quickly. Uh, especially with the travel spend uh, being limited, you know, with uh, international borders still being closed uh, beyond Christmas. Um, uh, FY21 saw elevated gross margins for retailers, but that's probably not sustainable. Uh, the weaker Aussie dollar, and also there's been a lot of um, cost inflation going into FY22. So that's something to watch out for. Uh, online sales are settling down, but they're settling down at higher levels than pre-COVID which is good for retailers with their online exposure. And then inventory positions uh, have been normalized with some of the shortages. And there is some risk of overstocking if the Christmas uh, sales uh, don't come to fruition because of extended lockdowns. And then the biggest risk, I guess, for the retailers, probably not in New South Wales, because I think coming out of lockdown is, is pretty certain, um, it's, it's pretty certain, but if lockdowns are extended uh, for too long in say Victoria or other parts of the country, then that could hurt the, the Christmas reopening trade. So those are the key main takeaways that, that we came out of. It seems to me then, Ron, that even though they, if there, there could be some short-term curveballs for retail and you've underlined the, the lockdown threats, I guess if you take a longer view, <clears throat> Retail is going to have at least a reasonable period until we are able to fly overseas and go back to normal and our dollars start going to Paris, Rome and New York rather than Harvey Norman and all the other uh, local retail outlets. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think, look, I mean, I think that Obviously, consumers have, um, you know, spent a lot of money, renovated their homes, um, you know, bought the sofas and the TVs. Uh, I think we're sort of focusing on some of the retailers 
uh, that will sort of benefit from a bit of that revenge spend. And, you know, there's so many TVs and couches that you can buy. <laughs> so, you know, we're looking at a few uh, retailers that sort of uh, are not as obvious to, to most investors. Uh, explain what revenge spend is. <laughs> well, revenge spending is pretty simple. We're all sick of being stuck at home and, and being locked down for a few months. So I think we're going to see people, as soon as they get the chance to get out, they're going to spend, they're going to shop, they're going to go out. They're not going to spend a minute at home and over the next few months. So uh, there's going to be a huge boost to the economy. Yeah, I guess my friend who runs Red Balloon will be dying for people to start spending on experiences. And I guess at Christmas time, probably a lot of experiences will be actually be bought because they know that their, their family are dying to jump out of planes and, <laughs> and do all those crazy things. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, you know, obviously it will depend on restrictions and, and what the, the government uh, puts in place, but it seems like everything should be open from the 1st of December, like completely. Yeah, okay. So you've picked pinpointed three interesting stocks uh, that a lot of people wouldn't know much about. So why don't we kick off the first one, UNI. Tell us about the company and what it does. Yeah, sure. So Universal Stores, um, they're a fashion retailer mainly for youth apparel, although I do shop there. So, you know, you can take Very that. <laughs> uh, they had a really good FY21. So, uh, in fact, they listed, I think, uh, about a year ago, uh, they reported 36% revenue growth to $210 million and then very profitable business. EBIT was up 86% to $44 million. Now, um, obviously, the current lockdowns are hurting them. Year-to-date sales were down minus 20%, but they, in my opinion, will be one of the biggest beneficiaries of that revenge spending thematic because you know the younger demographic, they're all going to go out to the bars and the restaurants and uh, I think everyone's going to want the latest uh, fashion trends to go out. Now, this is a really good growth story. They have 68 stores currently in Australia, but they're targeting at least 100 and they have a clear path to those stores because they're not represented in all the shopping, main shopping centers around Australia. So we think we, they can get to 100 within three years and the market loves a good store rollout uh, growth story for a retailer. And then historically, like for like sales average 12% per annum, uh, and now it's not cheap. It's trading on a PE multiple of 20 times, but I think it, it deserves it. And it's a really good growth story. So we think it's worth at least $9. And Ron, do, does it actually operate under the name Universal? Does it, or does it have brand names that we, we would know? We would no, it's, it's Universal. Huh. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, must, I must go looking for Universal in the future. Okay, let's go for your second one now. Sure. The next one is uh, Dusk Australasia. Um, so they've got 121 stores across Australia selling uh, mainly scented candles, diffusers, and so on. So a uh, really nice experience to go into the stores. It smells really nice. Uh, they obviously did really well in FY21. Everyone wanted their homes to smell good. You know, they were being locked uh, inside. Um, so sales were up uh, 47% to $150 million and uh, net profit after tax more than tripled to $27 million. So highly profitable business. Now 10% of its current market valuation is in net cash. So that's really good. And it's paying a 10% dividend yield as well. Uh, so that's uh, uh, quite impressive. Now their sales are quite seasonal. So November, December are really key months for them, especially if you think about gifting and, and Christmas yeah. and so on. So they need New South Wales and Victoria to reopen before then. So New South Wales is on track, Victoria, hopefully. 
So they should do okay. Now, the first eight month, eight weeks of this financially, obviously the lockdowns have hurt them and their sales are down minus 28%. But longer term, we think that they're going to expand outside of Australia into New Zealand and the UK, and which is really the key for a multiple uh, P re-rate because it is trading on a cheap multiple at the moment. We think it's worth about $4. Okay. And DSK, does it actually trade under that name, DSK? Yes. And what does yep. DSK stand for? Uh, Dusk. Dusk. That's the name of the, the, the brand. Dust. Dusk. Yeah. D-U-S-K. Yep. After dusk. Put the candles on when the dusk is, yeah. That yep. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I tell you what, I'll go start getting into the shopping centers, man. <laughs> You got to go out and shop. Shopping yeah. Okay. Let's get the final one. You come up with JVC. Yeah, JYC. So that's okay. a Joyce Corporation. That's an interesting one. Uh, it's a hundred mil market cap business, and they've got two businesses. Uh, the first one is they own fifty one percent of Kitchen Connection. So uh, that's a twenty five store uh, retailer that sells a kitchen and wardrobe renovating services. Uh, it's actually the largest national chain uh, for kitchen installations outside of the Harvey Normans of the world. Um, and then they also own Bedshed, which is a bedroom furnishing business across uh, 37 stores around Australia. Uh, that's mainly run by franchisees. Now, JoyScore, 30% of its current valuation uh, is essentially cash and property. Uh, and it's trading, <clears throat> sorry, on a P of 12 times and a 5% fully frank dividend yield. Now, what's interesting is that the kitchen connection business is really the jewel in the crown. And that business alone is generating last year 90 mil of revenue and $16 million of EBIT. Uh, now, they've got 25 stores and they think they can grow that quite easily over the next three to five years to 50 stores. And we think that if Kitchen Connection was a separately listed company, we think it would trade at a $200 million valuation, you know, similar to the likes of Beacon, Lighting, and so on. So which means that by Joyce owning half of Kitchen Connection, it's essentially the current market cap. And then you get the cash, the property, and the bedshed business essentially for free. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, we think it's worth at least $4.50. And there is possibility that they will acquire the remaining part of Kitchen Connection over time, uh, which will be a, a big boost to the to the share price. Is there any connection to the old Joyce Main um, group um, that this business? No. Because hmm. you know, certainly Joyce was a very uh, entrepreneurial lady in her time. Yeah, I mean, not, not that I'm aware of, or not in the last sort of you know five plus years um, that we've been following the stock. Okay, mate, some really interesting um, companies there. Um, and I guess, I guess some people would be wondering, you know, are these businesses benefiting from um, the fact that people are wanting to spend because of the coronavirus? And could reopening of the economy lead to different spending patterns? And therefore, maybe these companies won't be so strong maybe after 12 months time or longer. I know you would have thought about it and that's why I've asked the question. Yeah, look, I mean, the reason I picked these three stocks and not uh, Harvey Norman, JB Hi-Fi and Nick Scully, for example, is because like I said, I think that you can only buy one TV and, and one uh, set of lounge for your home every few years. So I don't think they're gonna benefit like they did before. These businesses, I mean, obviously Universal Stores, uh, Joyce and Dusk have had 
you know, years of track records of growth, regardless of COVID, but they're actually kind of in a way hurting because of lockdowns at the moment. So, and I think that they're more sort of businesses that people uh, spend there more often frequently through the year. Yeah. Um, and so I think they're actually going to do well regardless uh, once we open up. So I, I don't think um, it was a, kind of like a, a big beneficiary of lockdowns. Great. Ron, thanks for joining us, mate. And uh, I hope Thank that you. folks do as well as the last ones you, you gave us. Thanks. Thanks, Peter. Well, joining me now is Michael Gable from Female Equities. We have a number of stocks that people ask me about. And so I always like to see what their charts are actually telling us. So um, welcome, uh, Michael. Thanks, Peter. Well, mate, let's kick off the first one. Altium has been a company that's been a really good one in the past. Uh, it's had a bit of a fall from grace. And there are a lot of people out there hoping that it turns around and starts showing some real signs of um, making a comeback. What are the charts telling you? So what I've got here, Peter, is um, I've pulled up a weekly chart going back five years just to put all that volatility in, in perspective. As we know, the last year's been, been a bit of a wild ride for Altium. But as we could see, the, you know, up until the last year, there was a very nice uptrend for that, um, for that stock. Um, and at the moment, it, it's basically trading sideways, but just in a very large range. Um, as, as we could see, if, if we hook up all the previous peaks, um, so that's the, the blue diagonal line um, on the top right-hand side, um, we can see that, that the shares are basically sitting just under that line, trying to, um, trying to edge above it. So that's actually a, a good sign, despite the, the volatility over the last several weeks or so. I think the fact that it's, it's sitting under that line is showing some strength there, and I think it's just a matter of time until it, you know, if it can break above that um, that upper blue line, then you've got a resumption of, of of the uptrend. Obviously, if it heads back towards the bottom of that um, that range and breaks the bottom blue line, then that's a negative. But look at the moment; it's at the top of the range. Um, but I'd just wait for that breakout first. So, so therefore, a target number to to um, get you worrying would be around twenty four, twenty five dollars. Yeah, exactly. We could see that earlier this year, it got back to that, that level and bounced, which is good. So if it's back there again and it can't bounce, then that's clearly a negative sign. Okay, great. Let's go to our next one now. And this is a really interesting one, AT1, Atono Diagnostics. Now, I've got to say that I very seldom uh, invest in very speculative stocks, but and particularly they get influenced by press releases. But when I heard that Lang Walker and Bill Gates were shareholders in AT1, I did show a little bit of interest. I got a little bit of money in AT1 and it, it, it performed terribly after the press release. Funny that, isn't it? Yeah. But it has been coming good. So I wanted to see whether you're seeing the same um, strength in this stock. Yeah, I think this one can continue higher, shorter term. It looks like it does need to take a bit of a breather, but um, but no, I do like the way this has been trading over July, August. We could see that it um, you know had a nice trend to it. It wasn't too volatile. Um, early September, though, we can clearly see that uh, it really got going, and it moved from about twenty-two cents to um, to about thirty-seven cents very quickly. So. 
at the moment, it looks like it does need to consolidate that. So it, it did pull back. It looks like there was a bit of profit taking um, in sort of early to mid-September. Um, it's bounced back up to that sort of 37 cent mark. Um, and that's where I've got that blue line. So I think at the moment, it just needs to absorb all the profit takers here. Uh, and I think once it cracks that blue line, then it's ready to resume that, that uptrend. But, but look, there's nothing, uh, apart from needing a bit of short-term uh, short consolidation, there's, there's nothing really wrong with the way this has been trading since those June lows. Okay, I must get the CEO and see if he can actually convince me that it's going to keep on going up. Let's go to um, a really important one, BHP. Yeah, so BHP, um, look, obviously it's come back a long way um, in the last several weeks. It's at the moment, there's, look, there is some support just in the high 30s and it is just under that slightly, um, as we could see on this weekly chart. Um, when I look at it on a daily chart, it does look very oversold and it does look like it's, um, it's bottoming out um, for the time being. So uh, I think the downside for BHP is limited, but as we could see on this weekly chart, what it needs to do is it needs to get back above that blue line. So it needs to be trading back into the, the high 30s, around $40. But before we get too excited, because of the severity of this, this recent drop, I don't think we're going to see um, a huge bounce back in BHP anytime soon. So I think, I think short term it's oversold. It'll be back near forty dollars. I think fairly, you know, fairly soon, and then it probably just needs a few months around that level to build a base again, um, and then I think it'll head higher. So fundamentally, I think, you know, this is still a good sector to be in. Um, you know, we've seen some analysts recently talk about this commodity super cycle still being in its early stages. So I think BHP in terms of rallying and going higher again is probably more of a 2022 story. Yeah. Um, and I think it'll just spend the rest of this year just establishing support around these levels. Yeah, it seems to me that, you know, China has to get deal with this Evergrande problem. Um, the, the global economy has to deliver on the, the economists promise that they will have a really strong year for the economies yeah. of the world. If that happens, I think you know the, the commodities like BHP, those sort of stocks are going to have a, a, a bit of a rebound. But you're right; I think it might take some time to yeah. actually deliver on that. All right, another one that's uh, an interesting one. A lot of people like this. It's had a big run. Is ProMedicus? I keep getting asking questions about it, and I keep think, saying to people, "Well, the run's been so good. I don't know if you can expect it to go much higher." But mm. what are the charts telling you, Michael? Yeah, look, ProMedicus, um, yeah, it's great business. Um, you know, I'm holding it for, for some clients. Um, great technology, debt-free. Um, and we can see since March last year, it's had a fantastic run. Shorter term, it does. It is coming back in the short term. It is a high PE stock um, that's having a bit of heat come out of the share price. Um, but as we could see, there's, there's some good support fairly close by near about $48. So that's the... That's where the uptrend line is. And it's also um, where the previous peaks were from earlier this year. So um, despite PME being up uh, quite strongly today, um, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next few weeks, it might just try to test that, that $48 region. And, and of course, if it can hold there and, and show some good buying, um, then that would be a very nice dip to, to enter into. Um, because as I said, it's, it's still in a longer term uptrend. Yeah, okay. How, how do you... 
how do you determine that kind of conclusion? Is it the, the, the nature of that blue line you've drawn in there that, you know, it seems mm. to be making higher lows and higher highs? Yeah, exactly. We want to see the higher highs, higher lows. Um, I like to see good volume when a stock bounces off a particular level. Um, you know, it's nice to see over a course of potentially even a few days, if you see a stock, it's closing on its highs of the day, there's good volume, um, but also the way it comes into that zone as well. So as we saw with BHP, because it's come down so sharply, that's why I mentioned it needs to use up a bit more time. But if we find that a stock slowly eases into a support level, you know, on a lack of volume, lack of interest from anybody really, and then suddenly, you know, you see good buying, it's closing on its highs, there's volume, then that's, that's a, a good turnaround sign. And that's where you could start um, entering a stock. Okay. Here's one that I often get you to have a look at, only because I'm, I'm invested in it. And another reason is that my colleague, Paul Rickard, is actually on the board of uh, Tyra and he can't talk about it. So therefore, mm. I, I have to keep on going to the objective world to find out what's going on with this company. Um, and I did notice on the day when the market sold off very heavily after Evergrande, Tyro defied it. I always love a stock that goes up when the market's really getting um, negative. But what, what, are you, what are you seeing with Tyro, um, Michael? I think this one's building up to, to an opportunity. We, uh, we could see on this chart that that $4.40 region um, has been a bit of resistance for it. So every time it gets there, um, there's a bit of selling. So at the far right-hand side of this chart, we could see for the third time in the last 18 months, it's, it's tried to get through there. Generally, the more that a stock tries to test a region, the, the more chance it eventually does break through. Often, you know, four good retests um, is, is what you often see. We've only had three of them now. And as we could see in the last few days, as it's come up to $4.40, the selling has come in. So look, at the moment, Tyro is easing back, um, but it'd be very interesting to see what it does here in the next few weeks or so. So as I've mentioned on this show a number of times with, with some charts, if you could see if a stock hits resistance, but instead of pulling back too sharply, if you could just stay under it for a while, that's showing us that as the selling comes in, there's good buying and it evens out after a while. And then once the selling's gone, it's ready to head higher. So we could see this with Tyro. As I said, we probably need a few more weeks or so to, to see that happen. But um, as a positive, it's good to see that it is retesting those, those high levels again, and it's not languishing back in the twos or, or close to $3. Yeah. And it seemed to me that this is a stock that really wasn't going to, well, the company itself, wasn't it going to do really well until the economy's reopened? And I, I guess, you know, around Christmas time, we're hoping that New South Wales and Victoria are open. Well, I guess we have reservations about whether we can get into Queensland and places like that. But when you get to the middle of 2022, Michael, I figure a company like Tyro, where every time you go to a pub, a cafe, a restaurant, you often see their terminals. That's when the, the money should be coming in for a company like this. So it may well need a bit more time for the market to believe that the future is going to be uh, as positive as it probably will be when we get mm. to full normalcy again. Yeah, and, and the market will, will, will try to preempt that as well. So, you know, Tyro may well move. Um, well before we see all that reopening, as we've seen with the travel stocks um, in the last few weeks, they're moving now in anticipation. And 
yeah, we might find that over the next few weeks, even though the whole country's not opened up, um, if Tyro starts making a move, then yeah, then you know that everyone's, you know, the smart money's already starting to position. Okay, let's look at the overall market now. And you've brought the ASX 200 chart in. Yeah, so I just wanted to update our viewers again on this. So uh, about two, three weeks ago, Peter, when we had a chat about the market, um, I just had my reservations that it could head higher. It just looked like it was starting to, um, to roll over. And um, I guess our regular viewers know I'm not one of those bearish bearish people that uh, that's that's constantly talking things down. You know, we've been pretty bullish for a long time now, but um, as I've indicated with the arrow on the right-hand side, um, this is where we spoke about the market a few weeks ago. And the fact that it just broke that, that 50 day moving average and has struggled to, um, so the 50 day moving average for those who didn't see our video a few weeks ago, that's the, um, that's the, the squiggly line following the market underneath but as we could see now the market is now trading under that line so it really is struggling to get above that moving average and as we could see it's starting to roll over um, the US markets are looking weak as well so I just think that we don't need to be rushing into buying anything over the next um, say several days few weeks yeah I'm, I'm not expecting a big bear market we're not heading into a recession um, but but there are risks out there that that it looks like the market is is concerned about, so we may well see a ten percent correction, and then um, and then we can get going again. So, just in terms of how I'm positioning things for clients, I've been um, you know cashing in for the last few weeks, and and basically just waiting for for cheaper levels. So, I think yeah, I think our viewers can just be be a little bit patient, and I guess when I'm back in a few weeks, Peter, I can update you again on whether it's time to to step in or not. Yeah, I noticed that with the um, S&P 500 in the US, which we obviously take our lead from, in September of last year, I think there was nearly a 10% um, sell-off. Then there was a nice rebound, and there was another oh. sell-off in early to mid-October. But after that, it was off to the races big time in the S&P 500. I wouldn't be surprised yep. to see that kind of thing going on again this year as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think what, what lies ahead... Just want to reiterate i think what lies ahead is just a an opportunity to get set at better levels um i'm not expecting a um you know a bear market we're not we're not heading into a recession we're still you know we're we're out of a recession and we're still heading in that in that direction so i agree i think once this once this shakiness is over in the market um then we've got some good upside ahead of us okay great stuff mike uh, gable from female equities thanks for joining us thanks peter Good to see you, Michael. Good to be back, Peter. Yeah, so, Michael, um, let's concentrate on the stocks that you like right now. And then I want to run by you uh, three stocks that Ron Shamgar from Taman Asset Management likes going forward just to see, you know, whether you've got an opinion on those particular stocks. But what are the stocks that are grabbing you right now? Um, well, to stick on the sort of reopening theme that's going on at the moment, um, and this is a business that might appeal to the more cultivated yield investors as well as the, the growth investors, uh, is a company called Vicinity Shopping Centres. Now, VCX is the code. Um, so this is a, a business that was founded by the Gandalf family. They remain the, the biggest shareholders in this company. 
And effectively, they own the, the big Chadston Shopping Centre down in Melbourne. They own the, the Strand Arcade, Queen Victoria building up in Sydney, as well as a, a number of other properties around the place, uh, direct factory outlets, for instance, as well. So we believe this is a very high quality real estate business. The share price has come back a long way since the pre-COVID levels of around 260, 280, if I recall correctly, down to where it currently sits around the mid 165s. Um, so it's come back a long way. And we do think that over time, as things return to more of a normal environment, that foot traffic will pick up in these centres uh, and that share price can hopefully recover. Um, the thing at the moment is, even at today's prices, it's trading on a, a dividend yield of around 5 6%. Um, that dividend's been cut. The dividend per share has been cut significantly um, since the, the pre-COVID levels of around $0.10. Cents. It's now at about 6 or $0.07 cents per share. Um, or it could have even been higher than that. So the whole idea from our standpoint is over time, as things return to normal, they can increase those dividends. So you'll get a big kick up in dividends and you hopefully a recovery in the share price as well. So that's a company that we like at the moment. Um, we still like companies like Ordinate, which we've spoken about previously on the show um, and things like Webjet as well, which we've touched upon previously. We've been invested in those for a while and they've actually started to, to come good after what's been a, a tough 12 months. Mm. So. Um, let's go to Ordinate for a moment. Um, so Ordinate is a, a company that's going to benefit from um, grand finals being held, events happening, rock concerts and things like that. So it's a, in a sense, it's a, a tech company because it, it, it's like you often say, it's a bit like Bluetooth, but it's a, a private one rather than Bluetooth is more a cooperative uh, operation. And it's, you, you see it as a, as a virtual monopoly in that private space. But it's, it is a reopening trade thing as well because a lot, a lot of its best customers probably can't use it at the moment as much as they would. That's right. And, and their dominance has increased even um, still in recent times. Their recent update in August was, was very promising. I think the adoption rate of their technology versus their nearest competitor is 17 times the nearest competitor. So that's increased from about eight times 12 months ago. Um, I think about 80% or even 85% of all new electronic goods produced incorporate their protocol, the Ordinate protocol called Dante. So they're in a very strong position. One of the biggest issues for, for Ordinate is capacity constraints, um, like a lot of other businesses at the moment. Um, so that's the one thing that's holding them back. They did sort of take a bit of a kick up since we've been speaking from around $7, they're now above $10 and holding there quite well. But we think if you take an even longer term view, this will continue to consolidate its dominance um, and really turn into a, a good earning company for investors and a good returning company as well. Michael, does it get hit when tech stocks get hit because of rising yields in the US? Does it get sort of roped into the tech, tech group and therefore it loses a bit of um, momentum? It hasn't been. Um, it's sort of running its own race at the moment, probably down to the fact that it is viewed as a bit of a reopening play. Mm. So as we've got a bit more clarity on COVID and we've seen Europe successfully open up and, and the UK and, and the US successfully open up to some degree, um, I think people have been getting a bit more optimistic about Ordinate, maybe brushing off some of those tech characteristics that you mentioned. Mm. Uh, is there another one you want to throw at us or we start looking at these retail stocks? Um, what else have I got? Uh, there's an interesting one. It's a, a mining services type company um, called XRF Scientific. Um, it's a bit of a smaller company, but essentially what they do is they provide testing kits to all the miners globally or a lot of the miners globally. So effectively, if a company is doing a bit of exploration, 
they pull a core sample out of the ground. They've then got to test the quality of that core sample. Um, so the first thing that XRF do is they provide the machine, which is great. But the best part of the business and what we like most about the company is the consumables aspects. So you might have the machine, but you need the different chemicals and acids and whatever it is to get your reaction to tell you how good your core sample is. So once they consume that once, they've got to then repurchase more of that product going forward. So it's obviously been a beneficiary of the boom we've been seeing in mining again recently. Um, but we think that it's got legs, even if the mining industry was to come off a little bit, they've really consolidated themselves in a good position. Uh, it doesn't trade on nosebleed multiples. It's not too expensive, pays a, a four and a half, five percent dividend yields, probably a bit lower than that. Now the price has rallied. Um, but that's another interesting one that, that people might want to take a look at. Okay, let's go to the, the, the stocks now that Ron was talking about. And as I say, I, I said in the intro, I didn't really know these stocks and, and I, I figure I must go shopping more often because <laughs> I know Andre, my producer, he knew Dusk. Let's start with Dusk. Uh, what do you know about this company? Look, it's a pretty recent listing. Um, I think maybe 18 months or so it's been on the ASX and its balance sheet looks pretty good. Um, the gross margins of the 33% are always very juicy and, and you can make some good profits off the back of that. So it's a profitable company just because it's a recent listing doesn't mean it's not profitable. Very high return on equity of 70%. So it's got it's um, garnered some interest from the, the, the micro cap um, WAM fund, I'm pretty sure as well, who have been um, one of the major shareholders for some time in that. Um, the balance sheet looks very, very good, but it's effectively involved in fragrance products. So if you think about candles, mm. uh, diffusers, essential oils that people have around their house, it's been doing very, very well in that in that space. And obviously people have been stuck at home and they want to make the house look pretty. Uh, and that's probably been a key driver for them. They've got a big online presence, but they've also got physical stores as well. They're, they're involved in, I think, 115 physical stores just from the quick research that I've done. So it's difficult because I'll probably say this about the other couple of stocks as well, and it might be lazy analysis, but you would think that a lot of that demand has been maybe pulled forward um, with COVID. So it'll be interesting to see how they do come out the other side as we get back to a more normal lifestyle. But you've got to give them credit. The, the, the balance sheet looks very good. They've got a plan to keep expanding their store distribution network. Um, and today the runs have been pretty good on the board. Certainly I was thinking while you were, you were talking about candles and fragrances around the home, uh, particularly when you've been forced to live with kids you need fragrances to offset the rupture smells they're famous for. Let's go for the other one, Universal Store. Yeah, so this is a, a clothing um, and leisure outfitting apparel company for, for mainly the younger cohorts, I think. So, you know, street type wear. Mm -hmm. um, this is, again, a pretty recent listing. Uh, they, too, have got very good gross margins, good return on equity. And they've got a, a growing um, online presence. And I think everyone in this environment has had to make the most of those e-commerce e channels or omni-channels, whatever people call it. Um, my problem with this type of company is that it just seems like there's a lot of competition out there in that online shopping space. You've obviously got ASOS, Mr. Porter, uh, Setire. There's just many different um, sites these days that are competing. So I, although they might be doing very well in the short term, I struggle to see how long-term they can sustain any material advantage over their competitors. Um, but they do seem to be resonating with people at the moment. They've seen a big pickup in sales numbers. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they do, again, re um, react and, and how they do perform once we do return to normal. But they could benefit as well from school holidays at the moment, people returning to school. 
Um, they're all short-term factors that might give them a, a bit more of a shot in the arm. But again, it looks like a pretty high quality retailer, but same with Dusk, same with Universal. Another concern I have is over time with many retailers changing fashions, changing tastes can evolve um, and can really hurt companies. I mean, all you got to do is look at, you know, Billabong or, or Mambo. Those are sort of big when I was growing up and, and these days you wouldn't be seen dead in many cases wearing it. So you've got to be careful um, with these short-term thematics that, and, and, and fashions that do play out in the market. Yeah, and, and also your early selection, VCX, they could play hardball with these stores as well. So as, as they do well, maybe the others won't. But still, you're pretty objective analysis. And finally, Joyce Corporation. Yeah, so Joyce, um, very simple company, really. They sell beds. Um, and again, when you're at home and you're spending a lot of time in bed, and I've certainly been spending a lot of time, in, more time in bed than usual. We don't <laughs> want to know about your sleeping habits, Michael. <laughs> but you feel you're going to update your, your mattress when you can't travel overseas and you can't go out. And the problem is once you've updated your mattress, you, your purchases are unlikely to be done for another 10, 15, 20 years or something. So that's something I would be cautious of when it comes to Joyce Man, because if you look at their figures, not Joyce Man, sorry, Joyce Corporation, but when you look at their figures in the last two years, which have been COVID impacted, they've seen a big jump up in margins, which is probably driven by the online side of the business. Um, they've seen a very big jump up in, in cash flows and stuff like that. But the problem is, what's it going to look like when we come out of the COVID situation? Um, to their credit, they continue to expand away in this environment. Uh, they've got some more stores opening up in Sydney and then throughout New South Wales. Uh, they've branched out away from mattresses to various home furnishings. So there are more than mattresses to the, the the suite of products that they're offering but I, I do wonder um, how things will play out once we do return to normal because the big jump in margins and the big jump in profits that we've seen come after what was really a decade where those key metrics were going sideways so it's hard to decipher whether that's a one-off impact or whether it's more sustainable and um, look I hope they, they can sustain it but you just don't know we're really traveling into uncharted territory and then no one really knows what the reaction of consumers is going to be once we get out yeah, Ron was saying that they've also got uh, only a 50% share in a company called Kitchen Connect Connection. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that apparently has been, been uh, driving the revenue pretty well and there's scope for them to get a bigger chunk of that company. Yeah, and I think they've got, I think that Kitchen Connection, something like 25 showrooms around the place. Mm. Um, it's got a pretty compelling and unique customer experience from what I, I've been reading. Mm. Um, I think you're, you know, you're able to sort of, on a computer or a system mix and match different shelving and then different fixtures and then whatnot and get a good view of what it's going to look like when it's all done so that has been well received and that is part of the diversification that the company's been pursuing definitely yeah michael great to talk to you and uh thanks for joining us thanks peter all the best Well, joining us now is the founder of Century 21, Charles Tarby. We'd like to check out with Charles to see what's going on in the market right now. Charles, good to see you. Thank you, Peter. So, Charles, last time, well, a couple of times we've talked, you kind of predicted that the momentum of this price rising would probably start to slow down when we get out of lockdown and an increase in supply of properties come on the market. And I've seen other stories now kind of picking up on, on that theme, which you, you talked about ages ago. 
is it actually being seen at the coalface? It is in some areas now, not every area. There's still a shortage of properties, but we've noticed in the last couple of weeks that uh, in three weeks, in fact, there's been an increase in the amount of stock coming on the market. Last week was pretty high compared to the week before. So I think we're going to start to see it. And we would have seen that if, if the lockdowns hadn't occurred because a lot of people withdrew their properties from sale. And so we started to notice that the agents were having to negotiate a lot harder with the buyers and sellers rather than that just stand there and give away price that a buyer had to pay, not so much give away, but the price a buyer had to climb up to to get that property. And so as I'm walking around the area now where I live, uh, which, which I do regularly, I'm seeing more and more for sale signs starting to pop up. Pete. So uh, I think at that point in time, the buyer supply will get sucked up and, and then you'll get back to that uh, buyer and seller negotiating platform, which we haven't seen for some time. It seems to me, Charles, that if you're right, I'm going to throw in the fact that I think APRA is going to have an impact on, on price rises as well. But let's, let's get that in a minute. But there was a big story last week, because I'm sure you, you didn't miss, uh, a property in Haverfield. I think their reserve was around five. It sold for $7 million. Now, Haverfield is a, is a nice suburb, but it's what you have to call it like a, a middle-class suburb. That's a big price for a, a house like that. I, I'm kind of thinking that if people are of the, the belief that their property can bring a high price, they probably should get on the market as soon as possible rather than waiting for the spring sales that will probably be going yeah. over November, December. Is that a fair assessment? Well, yeah, we spoke about this uh, going back, but I thought this was uh, uh, probably getting to the stage where your competition levels are going to be much higher as a seller. And you should have started looking at putting your property on the market during COVID, which is what I advise my son to do. And he got a really good price because the amount of buyer activity around it, because there was hardly any stock available, was fantastic for him. And I, I really do think that's a big, big part of it. Look, three months ago, we were talking about this at our national conference that we thought that uh, APRA uh, would start to look very closely at what was happening in the marketplace. And I noticed with interest last night a very strong uh, story uh, on Sky Business uh, that was around the fact that, that RBA, APRA, banks are all getting a little bit concerned about the way in which thing, the way, way things are going because affordability is going to become an issue. The house prices have been rising at one, one and a half percent a month and wage growth hasn't been rising anywhere near that level. What do you expect is going to happen? It's just going to have to stop at some point. Yeah. And people paying those sorts of prices for property, look, they'll get their money and maybe make more, but they might have to wait for a second boom before they start to see any capital growth. Yeah. And I think also you, you, you throw in the fact that you made the point quite rightly that, you know, that, that, that what people are borrowing compared to what their wages are, um, a lot of people are putting themselves into potential mortgage stress situations. But the interesting thing I think is if APRA really starts playing hardball with the banks, and even the banks are kind of saying, well, we're, we're kind of up for that as well because we're a bit yeah. worried about the borrowing. Yeah. It will mean that a lot less people will turn up to open houses and auctions with a lot of money in their kick. So it, it basically is another reason to believe that while prices aren't, aren't going to start falling anytime soon, the rate of increase is going to start really slowing down. Absolutely. Now Oh, I don't see a, a crash in the market or anything of that nature. I mean, we don't have an oversupply of property uh, available in, in our marketplace. I do see a steady change. And we did start to see it uh, just before COVID hit 
in lockdown areas, we started to see that that the rate of growth was slowing down significantly. Uh, I just think we've just hit that little bit of a bump, uh, and I think all, all bets are off for the last three months, and we're sort of back on again right now. Yeah. Uh, when I was talking to one of the bank, bankers uh, earlier on, uh, and he was saying to me, look, we're looking at 55% LVR for investment loans. I said, did I hear you right? And he said, yeah, 55% is what we um, will we'll lend for investment loans on, on investment property. And I said, well, that's not public yet. He said, no, it's not. So I think there's some definitely some changes out there that uh, we're not aware of right now yeah. that should come. Well, a lot of investors won't get in the market with that kind of tough hurdle to jump over. No, they won't. This is what happened in New Zealand. 40% deposit required for investors. That's going back into the old age of the 60s, something like that. <laughs> now, mate, can I ask you just one question so people can understand what goes on in, in your game? Um, predictably, or typically, how long a marketing period do you have for a house? I know a lot of houses are selling before auction, but yeah. how much do you allow? Is it four or five weeks? It's it shortened. You know, we used to look at the old four to six week campaign and it's shortened. Most people are doing this now in three week campaigns. It was what I've seen around the traps. So not, and, and a lot of the agents are putting properties on the market without a price. And uh, they're saying, come along, have a look. This is a guide. Uh, and most of the guides have been beaten now, which, which is not the agent's fault. It's just that fury uh, amongst buyers. And, uh, and then uh, the agents will get uh, people through and based on the number of people they get from the feedback, they'll say to the, to the potential buyers, oh, well, put your best bid in by 10 o'clock tomorrow and the vendor will look at all of the bids and they'll go from there. And they're not even getting anywhere near auction. And it's all happening in a matter of weeks, two or three weeks and sometimes less than a week. Mm. All right. So, so therefore, we really don't know the magnitude of properties that will be on the market in November, because a lot of people might not even, you know, start listing them until what the middle of October or something. Well, until they can get, well, a lot of people started listing in the last few weeks in anticipation of getting ready in some parts of the country. It, you require contracts, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And so uh, preparation might be two or three weeks in anticipation of, of coming out of lockdown with, with uh, you know, in, in New South Wales, for example, if you're in the ring of, uh, of steel around Sydney, 11th of October, Freedom yeah, Day. Freedom so day. the majority of people will be out and about, and I'd suggest that the stock levels will be rising every week from here on in a lot greater and a lot quicker than we've seen in the past. So, so I don't think we'll be waiting until November, Peter, no. So, so when your hair was darker and I had more hair, there, there was the old, the old rule that, you know, if you if you... If you could avoid it, don't go to auction or don't try and sell a place in yep. December. But but nowadays that, that's not really going to matter, is it? I think I can't remember, Peter. No, look, the, the reality is is that there's no there are no seasons anymore. They haven't been for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, even during winter, the real estate market's been fantastic. So I would suggest that it's just what stock is out there and how many buyers are out there and what the banks are going to do or or, or are going to do in the very near future is going to determine our marketplace. Okay, Charles, great to talk to you, mate. Thank you, Peter.